Hello and welcome to Criterion. Close up! <laughs> I'm Mark Kearney <laughs> and I'm here with Ichi. That was, was that, did that sound Japanese or did it sound? Very much so. Or yeah. I was trying to be Japanese without being like racist and all that stuff. Right. I'm not, yeah. I'm not racist towards Japanese or Zatoichi. No, just getting that out, <laughs> out of the way. Uh, but I can, good. I speak with terrible accents, so there you go. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, you're always good with the accents, Aaron. Nice, mm. nice work. Thanks for the compliment. <laughs> Not true, but thank you. <laughs> Just try to make you feel better. You know, I appreciate but. that. Oh, Criterion Close-Up, episode 48, close uh, approaching number 50. And uh, this is one where we are delving into the biggest film we've ever delved into uh, because it's 25 films in the Zatoichi, The Blind Swordsman box set. So, yeah, a lot to, uh, a lot to get to. Uh, but first, wanted to welcome our lovely guest, someone we've interacted with uh, online quite a bit and also joined us for a shortcut uh, some time ago with Aaron. Dave Eaves, welcome to Criterion Close-Up. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on a, a main episode, uh, finally. And I, I'm going to count this as 25 appearances in one since we're talking about 25 films. So I, I, I'll, good call. It's it's mm-hmm. good to be your most frequent guest as well. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Doug's gonna love that. Yeah, I beat him <laughs> uh, many times over now. Well, we haven't even recorded yet. We could just cut you off after the first one you, if we want to. You could preserve his legacy. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna have to fight me for that though in a classic sword duel at some point. With maybe nice. a little gambling thrown in too. Maybe, maybe a, di- a dice match. I, but that would be appropriate. Listen to those dice carefully. I, they might sound odd I, <laughs> or even. Because everyone knows that they sound very different depending on how they land. Yes, five and six versus five and uh, two sound completely different. Completely. <laughs> nice. Right. Well, That's now that right. we've established that. <laughs> Playing odds and evens. I, I love it. So, And, you know, David, we, we did cover your short, uh, your, your criterion connection during the uh, the short take, which was if I remember, night in the city. Yep. Um, but you know, we, we figured we we should uh, revisit it. Of course, not sure how many folks had uh, heard that episode, and you know, maybe things have changed, or I don't know, maybe your perspective. So, uh, how did you come to Criterion? Well, the way I came into Criterion has not changed, thankfully, because the past nice. I have not tra- time traveled and given myself <laughs> Criterions earlier than I did before. Um, <laughs> if you could, you would have gone back and bought all of the stuff that was going out of print uh, till now. Exactly. Obviously. But I would have kept right. that for myself instead of giving it to my past self. Of course. I'm gonna, why? Why give it to him? But uh, I think it's a... <laughs> He's a jerk anyway. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Just like the current one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's appropriate that I'm talking about Japanese uh, samurai movies because my actual real entrance into Criterion Collecting came with the Kira Kurosawa, uh, the box oh, set nice. that they had back like 10, 11 years ago with the original DVDs of uh, Seven Samurai, Hidden Fortress, Yojimbo, and Sanjuru. Uh, so that was the first thing I got that I knew was Criterion. Wow. Uh, but I'm pretty sure before that I owned the Royal Tenenbaums, not quite realizing what that label at the top meant. Sure. Everybody's had that one. Exactly. <laughs> it comes up every time. Exactly. So was that, uh, was that box set, was that the, the Black Spines? Um of you know seven samurai and you know those old spines yeah i think it was right? the black spines yeah that's wow i, I can't even pi- i can picture the the uh the discs i remember seeing them you know used on the shelf but mm-hmm. i can't picture the box set i'd have to like i have them in my basement someplace because that's where i put dvds because i only like to keep the blu-rays on display but it, it had like the sleeve that was all white and i guess yeah. i guess the spines are black it was yeah that's cool yeah 
I, I, I keep seeing people putting their collections with all the black spines organized separately, and it looks really cool. And I put those all in the basement. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool right. basement. Exactly. Nice. Hey, well, I'd like to get back to you know I I like the idea of going back in time to buy out of print titles before they're out of print, and then selling them in the present for you know, just think of all, well I guess you could just buy stocks and predict bet, bet on Super Bowls and that sort right. of thing. No, I just but want to buy return out of print would be more fun. Yeah, I'd buy seven yeah. copies of the Third Man. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's twenty one hundred dollars exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Smart. Nice. Good call. All right. Uh, well, if, if we ever, you know, if, if one of us strikes it rich, uh, at some point you'll know why. Yep. <laughs> Time bandits. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, uh, and, you know, before we get into Zatoichi, we do like to do some short takes. So uh, we're each going to cover uh, one film. So, Dave, I'll turn it back to you. Oh uh, what did you watch recently you wanted to talk about? Um, you know what? I'm going to go against the Japanese thing, even though I watched Woman of the Dunes the other night. And I've seen that before. So I'm going to say that... Uh, I recently watched for the first time Francois Truffaut's Love on the Run, Ooh. the end of the Antoine Duenel, uh series, saga, whatever you'd call it. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, it really likes to end on a clip show, because <laughs> that whole movie <laughs> is just clips from other movies, and it's a little right. bit disappointing, uh, hmm. the culmination of everything. I, have you guys both seen that? Yes. Yeah. I did, but I, I binged it, so I, I need to watch it again because I, I, I just don't remember. I do remember that, in my opinion, uh, a lot of people really like Love on the Run, but in my opinion, they got worse as they kept going. I agree. I, but, it's yeah, it's not bad, and I think like seeing the character because you've seen him grow up. Basically, it's like, oh, how can I, how can I hate it when I'm just seeing this guy again? And I like the fact that people are he's finally like being told like, wait, no, you're actually a jerk because he's he's not a great guy, and I appreciate <laughs> that aspect of it, but. I, I wish it wouldn't have been the clip show episode or if there had been something else afterwards to kind of give it a more concrete conclusion other than just him dealing with his love uh, relationship problems for the rest of his life, I guess. Well, that's pretty much all the other movies except for the first one. Exactly. And I, I think yeah. that's, I, I think maybe that's my issue because the first one I feel like deals with bigger issues than that. It deals with growing up. It deals with this boy mm-hmm. who's kind of, just not getting the care he needs and then it just turns into oh i like this person oh i like that person and it almost right. mm. almost turns shallow yeah he should have went back to boarding school yeah, he should have last one <laughs> that actually would have been really it would have been like uh, billy madison but with antoine Donnell. maybe he he could have been a teacher at the boarding school that could have worked oh yeah, yeah that could have okay. worked yeah well, all right there's still time <laughs> well <laughs> truffaut's not around no. anymore but uh, uh so i guess not yeah. but uh Good pitch, yeah, I right? Think, I, I think I'm with you. That's probably the worst of this of the series. I'm trying to remember how how I felt about each one. I do remember liking Bed and Board mm-hmm. um, a little more, a little bit better. But uh, and I liked how Colette came back in Love on the Run. Yeah, I remember those. But other than that, yeah, not certainly the weakest. Yeah, not going out on a bang. No. So, Aaron, what about you? What did you watch? Uh, I'm going to try to get this title right. I love this title. Uh, I watched Peter. Yeah, I watched Peter Greenaway's The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Is that right? That sounds right. I think that's yeah, the order. I think so. That's uh, 1989. That is a. Uh, it's actually hard to find. I, I I bought the Region B. It's basically out of print wow. here. I, I think there was a an old. I'm, I want to say it was Anchor Bay, 
release in the States that's out of print. I could have the, the label wrong. Um, it's actually a travesty that it's not in print, and, and this the Region B version only has the movie pretty much. Which, but, uh, uh, which label is that from, Aaron? The Region B, I, it's not a, a, a big label. That oh, we, it's not like Arrow or yeah, something. Yeah, I, I don't have it in front of me. I, I did read it, yeah. and I was like, basically, who, who are these guys? Um, hmm. Yeah, it's the only one of those I have. But uh, quite an interesting movie. It's um, It has uh, Michael Gambon, Gambon, you know, from Harry Potter. Uh, Helen Mirren from, wasn't she also in Harry Potter and Red and all sorts of stuff? Uh, She's and in Red, yeah. I'm trying to remember, maybe maybe Potter. Yeah, well, she is English, so there's a good chance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and aging. Um, and it had Kieran Hines, it had... Uh, uh, Tim Roth, a, lot, a big cast of a lot of people that uh, would become better known later. Uh, interesting seeing them when they're younger. Kind of a romp, uh, well, an, kind of an art comedy set in a restaurant uh, with uh, Gambon just playing this vicious, over-the-top cretin, cretin, uh, however you say that word. Uh, just tremendous performance, actually. I think uh, one of my favorite, probably definitely my favorite performance of his uh, Probably one of my favorites of that uh, that time period. Uh, really interesting movie. Really interesting photography. Kind of pans from room to room. A lot of tracking shots. Uh, a lot of good, great use of color. You know, a lot of whites and reds. It actually, reminded me of uh, some Jallo films. Hmm. Uh, very disgusting. And uh, and I should you know, in case you're inclined, Helen Mirren's pretty much naked the entire movie. <laughs> and and this is not the now Helen Mirren. This is uh, 1989. So she was getting a little older, but you know. So, you know, I, I actually was, I'm, I'm still kind of hashing out what to think of the movie because it's so over the top and so... Interesting. Yeah, uh, it, it's one that would certainly benefit from a Criterion release. Would, would love hmm. to, and it, it was rumored a few years ago, and I don't, I don't know what came of it. I think Greenaway might have a phantom page, but I would love to get the, if the, for them to get the actors together, and um, especially Gambon. I'd love to hear him, his take on that performance. If they could get them, and uh, and and maybe some of the background details. It was a very controversial film, uh, you know, for the nudity and there's some food stuff. I, <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, but <laughs> uh, my curiosity is piqued. It's it's a must see. It's it's. I'm not going to call it a masterpiece. It does have some some problems, but it's definitely a ride that I would uh, recommend anybody take. It, it's one. So. It's one that I've actually been wanting to watch for a while, but I know that there, it's really hard to find at least a good print of it. How was the quality of the Region B disc? The quality was great, actually, okay. uh, hmm. and maybe that's just a testament to the filmmaking. It's it's a very well constructed film, very good looking film. Uh, so I, I think a yeah, 4K restoration would probably look even better. Yeah. But I would not complain if sure. this if this when ended up on uh, Criterion or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, check it out if you can. Uh, if you're Region B enabled, I I think I I got it for like eight pounds, so it was worth it. Okay. Nice. I I looked it up on Blu-ray.com. It's from Fabulous Films, the distributor which I don't r- recognize. So, a very small distributor apparently. And Peter Greenaway does have a fandom page, so there you go. Yeah. Um, he nice. he did some other movies, A Belly of an Architect, uh, Z and Two, two Knots. Uh, which I haven't. Uh, this is the only one of his I've seen. Uh, he did a uh, Prospero's books. I've seen that one. Uh, mm-hmm. British director, so interesting guy. Apparently, this is his mo- most accessible. So there you go. Hmm. Looks like there's a there's an '82 film. Uh, I'm not familiar with, but the Droughtman's uh, yeah. contract. That's from BFI. So that that could be potential too. Whenever you see BFI, cool. maybe Criterion. But hmm. yeah, well, uh, hopefully it's this. I, this would be uh, quite a release. So. 
uh, definitely recommend it. Crazy film. Crazy, crazy. <laughs> nice. Well, for my short take, I was going to talk about a Criterion release. I actually had the pleasure of joining the our friends at In Session Film, J.D. Durand and Brendan Cassidy, uh, to talk about the... They have a bonus content. I joined them from time to time called Settling the Score, where we talk about film scores. And they had just completed their French New Wave movie series where they talked about The 400 Blows, Hiroshima Mon Amour, Cleo from 5 to 7, Vivre Sa Vie, um, and, I, and Breathless. And uh, yeah, those films probably sound a little familiar. <laughs> so yeah, I, it was great to join them. And I just, I took, uh, talking about movies or talking about the music, I took the opportunity to see the one film I hadn't seen yet, which was Cleo from 5 to 7. Unfortunately, I hadn't seen that from... Agnes Varda, and uh, yeah, I just, uh, you know, really a couple things there. Um, I, I loved the opening, I just the, the use of color, then of course juxtaposed with the black and white as we get into the film uh, where she, Cleo is being read these tarot cards, I think just instantly became one of my favorite openings I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was great. And uh, I, I really, I, watching this movie it was interesting. I was noticing more kind of kind of the artistry of the film rather than themes. I don't know if it was because I went in thinking, well, French New Wave, I'm just going to look more at the filmmaking than than the themes. But I, I think this one is deeper there. Um, I mean, it includes the Algerian war is touched on, uh, feminism some, uh, certainly existentialism. So that was, uh, that was cool. And it's very very visual film i think i like the visual language uh, more mirrors in this film it kind of reminded me of when we were talking about rivet Jacques mm. rivet loves his <laughs> his mirrors too he sure does yeah and includes a short silent film uh, starring well uh, there's some cameos in there including uh godard and i believe anna karina is in that too so yeah pretty pretty cool yeah. and uh Definitely some tension kind of keeps the film together, I think, too, because you're, you know, she gets the diagnosis early on and you're wondering, you know, during this hour and a half movie that takes place over two hours, you know, what is the final, um, how's it going to end? What's the final diagnosis going to be? So, Hmm. good for You know, I I have not seen this one. I've seen a lot of uh, Varda. In fact, I think uh, that four from Varda, I think this is the only one on that set I haven't seen. Ah. And Mm -hmm. I, I think that's because I have, I know some people that really don't like it, so I procrastinated uh interesting whereas le bonheur and uh, vagabond i think are just brilliant but uh hmm. so you'd recommend it then absolutely yeah i mean I, I think it's and it's even richer like i said than that i've really noticed on on first time watching it so yeah it's and it's only as you mentioned aaron i wanted to mention here it's it is only in uh on the box set there it was originally released in one of those again those black spines Mm-hmm. Uh, early early spine number I think in the 70s that version's out of print but it's part of the you know four films by Agnes Varda set um, that is still in print along with Vagabonds out of print too so um, that's the way to see it and mm-hmm. I don't know Blu-ray upgrade someday yeah not uh, not crossing my, or I'm, I'm, I am crossing my fingers but I'm not getting my hopes up <laughs> it is on so, Hulu yeah and probably probably yep. will be on Filmstruck Plus when that. that goes up I'm guessing Right. So, so yeah, Cleo for five to seven. It's definitely a, a thumbs up for me. And again, just plugging, settling the score. We did actually uh, play a track from this, uh, the song that Cleo sings during the film. So it was really fun to kind of go back and listen to this music, even listening to the show again. I kind of got goosebumps by how good the music is in the French New Wave. So 
that was that was a lot of fun yeah cool well i I listened to part of that show not all of it because i haven't seen all the movies but uh yeah no i enjoyed it and i i enjoyed uh their little french series um i I listened they they shouted us out during the breathless show they did thanks guys and and i actually agree with jd on that uh he was a little (laughs) negative so i I sent him a little note of support saying you know i'm in his camp since he as i put it he put out the ccu apb that's Uh, right so uh (laughs) So, yeah. but but I, I, he kind of conceded that he just watched it once. You know, I've just watched it once. It's it's one, and I've seen it numerous times in like you know clips, the jump cuts, and film classes. Right. But it's one I I think I'd like to do an episode on that someday. Yeah, yeah, and and that's uh, yeah, Breathless, which was odd. You know, it seems like the place to start with a French New Wave, but it may not be. You know, I would say Four no. Blows would be you know a better better entry point maybe even something early like maybe you know cleo from five to seven which is mm-hmm. earlier or maybe a know, chabrol chabrol yeah or yeah, louis mal maybe uh, so yeah mm-hmm. uh, i probably will be talking about french new wave at some point <laughs> probably at <Yeah>. length <laughs> yeah it was interesting this past week to be talking french new wave and also watching zadoichi at the same time interesting <laughs> dichotomy there but. they're so similar in so many ways <laughs> yeah yeah the music is great <laughs> Yes. Actually, the music is great. Yes. Out of each other, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll get into that. So. Yeah. Well, speaking of, let's uh, transition into Zadowichi. We'll take a quick break, and um, yeah, we'll come back with the Blind Swordsman. Criterion Close-Up. I'm Mark Herney here with Aaron West as always and our special guest Dave Eves. We are talking about Zadoichi, the Blind Swordsman. And uh, you heard some Zadoichi music kind of leading us in there, hopefully getting you in the mood uh, for some sword slashing, some gambling, some masuring, some I don't know. That's it. Got, that's really it. That's about it. <laughs> that's the whole series. Episode over. <laughs> nice. Been Been great to talk to you. Yep. So, and it is, you know, it's one spine. I thought that was interesting. Uh, spine 679. I was, I'd kind of forgotten that. So, yeah, I mean, Criterion could have upped their spine numbers by, you know, 25, maybe 26 if they wanted to include, you know, the set itself was the spine, but they just went with one. So you got to watch them all. A rather big spine. Um, and we should note that it's about to come out on Blu-ray. Uh, in fact, I think that's, is it September 9th? I think it's early September. Nice. Well, that would be the ninth would qualify. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you have, um, you know, if you didn't get the set, the out of the dual format is out of print, but you should be able to get the new set in well, about a couple weeks. That's cool. Very yeah. curious to see if the box itself gets changed all that much for the Blu-rays because I know a lot of space was used right. on the DVDs. It's supposed to be thinner, I think, like three quarters of an inch or something like okay. that. But yeah. Half an inch yeah, maybe. I kind of like the massive bookend, uh, but it, it's September thirteenth is when Agree it's coming out, and it's uh, it's one hundred fifty nine dollars on Criterion right now. I don't know what it is on Amazon, but I think two hundred dollar list price, which is a little cheaper than the dual format. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's mammoth box, uh, beautiful box. And yeah, 
great i mean great artwork we you know it's uh it, they commissioned uh, an artist i believe different artists for each each film really to do the the cover and that you know actually comes with a book but you know well, we can talk about that a little bit when we get into our criterion ratings too Sure, and also just to intro, uh, we're going to talk about the entire series. We've all, well, Dave and I have watched all 25. Uh, I'm a slacker. I've, you haven't watched many. Uh, we're not going to spoil any of these films. Uh, well, and we kind of teased on the last episode, we really can't spoil these films. But if you've watched a handful or haven't watched any at all, I think it, this is an episode that's safe to listen to if you haven't. Uh, so listen away, and uh, yeah, and decide whether to watch all 25 in uh, one weekend or three years <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was one of the things for me watching is you know Aaron and I were talking about I started this late and uh, you know he said don't don't binge watch them I wouldn't recommend it so I uh, I did not and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit but I uh, yeah. did want to uh, just again briefly intro the box set again it, it is it's very very popular in Japan it's a long running action series um, really you know ran for 11 years as the the 25 films collected in the box uh, it's, there's been some additional films made uh, there's a television series too so um, really important uh, character in Japanese uh, film culture and it's about a, a blind masseur who happens to also be a lightning fast uh, swordsman so and it stars the iconic um, Shintaro Katsu we'll talk about in a bit uh, he would be, made him an instant superstar and uh, he really you know created a larger than life presence in this uh, this character so um, definitely Criterion calls them pulse, pound, uh, pulse pounding hilarious stirring off the wall um, so we'll get into uh, some of those pieces but uh, it, you know it really is nice to have these all in one box set that we can um, delve into so but you know before we kind of get into the overall films and some of the things we wanted to talk about. I did want to set it up a little bit with some history, uh, as we are, are want to do. So, um, Sometimes. Aaron, <laughs> I'm going to turn it over to our, our resident uh, historian, Mr. West, uh, to lead us in. Well, thank you. Uh, this is not my specialty. I'm not uh, much of an Asian historian, but I did get some help from uh, Tony Raines. Thank you, Tony, for Thanks, Tony. Um, talking. Uh, he, he's actually helped me a lot in that department. And also uh, a little bit with Wikipedia too. That that helps. But uh, yeah, yeah, this 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 was a period piece, and it was uh, set during the uh, the latter portion of the Tokugawa shogunate, which is a period uh, between like uh, the 17th century and late uh, 19th century. So I think it was the 1860s is when it ran ran its course uh, right before the Meiji Restoration. Um, so and it's basically a, a a bunch of shogunates, and that's a bunch of clans, and you pretty much can figure it out from watching the series. But uh, local governments, local—it's uh, feudal, feudal society. So there's lords and vassals. There's bob, uh, bobs, uh, bosses and chieftains. Uh, so that actually makes a lot of rich material for a, a series like this, where you have a tra traveling protagonist because he can go to from place to place and find. You know, in a lot of uh, a lot of cases, people being taken advantage of by their lords. Uh, it it also was a very heavy uh, a class separated period. Uh, people were, you know, pretty much you were in your class and you were never going to leave your class. You were just there for your your lifetime. Mm -hmm. And uh, masseurs were the lowest class, and I think that's uh, that that speaks to the series too, because Adoichi was 
definitely a, most people like him would be a poor man. So that's why he's kind of comes off as unassuming and uh, and sort of the underdog. People uh, overlook him often, even though there's a, some legend of a swordsman out there. Uh, he he kind of sneaks up on people. That's because he's really seen as by a lot of these people as dirt. Um, so yeah, that's most of the history. Of course, a lot of Japanese films, uh, samurai films, probably do take place in this era. They they love their period pieces, and some of our favorite Definitely. films we probably wouldn't recognize because we are not as familiar with the history, but uh, they are speaking kind of like our period pieces. They're speaking uh, to about the history, you know, uh, stuff that people can understand, but they're speaking towards the present. So they were speaking towards 60s industrialization and, uh, and then 70s uh, well, more class consciousness. So that's the history. <laughs> nice. Sort yeah, of. Definitely some, you know, some social issues there too. And I, one thing that uh, came out, I didn't realize until the supplements really, is that uh, I kept wondering why they called him uh, Ichi, because I thought his name was Zato Ichi, but right. you know, Zato, Zato is really his uh, class level, which is, like you said, the, the lowest um, class level as a, uh, as a masseur. So yeah, interesting. Yep, no stratification, sir. Sorry, Zato. No. Yeah, and, and like you said, it's it's uh, you know we always, we always think of like capitalism where you can you know better yourself through hard work, but from a class standpoint in uh, in Japan, it uh, you, there was was no option. <laughs> you you were what you were. You could kind of better yourself by being able to hear dice. <laughs> they don't really get into it, but I think he did enrich himself. Uh, he always had money in the later movies. So uh, you haven't seen uh, those, but Dave... Uh, you know. And people, like, you see, what what is it, the Rio or whatever it is, people yeah. seem to go crazy over that. So that must have been a lot of money. I know. He, he yeah. had tons of those things. Yeah, my my wife is really into currency, and so when I was watching the series, I would sometimes ask her, well, "What is this? What is this?" And she had no idea. <laughs> so I think it's ancient currency. Yeah, it's far so kept, far removed from the yen. I, yeah, I kept expecting them to be like, "How many yen is that?" But I know. <laughs> I think it was before that. What's the Rio dollar conversion rate? <laughs> <laughs> Let me Google that right now. <laughs> Uh, just to add something to that, because I think it's interesting, because I, I think going into this, I did not expect them to be mentioning Yakuza, because mm, right. the Yakuza are a huge part of the series, because Ichi is technically a Yakuza. Right. It seems like, like you said, this during this class system, you really couldn't get ahead. It seemed like the Yakuza came about as a way for the poor people to try to get ahead, try to kind of form their own little, uh, not quite unions, not quite gangs, but this society where they could have power and kind of rise up above their station a little bit mm -hmm. and because of that corruption comes into play and because of that you have an entire character who's against corruption yeah it's basically the teamsters mm. for uh for that the same period and the same period is when the yakuza began uh the thing is now yakuza you know like battles without honor and humanity in other series is modern gangsters and that's how they're seen but back then it, you know he, you wouldn't describe Zatoichi as a gangster. He was just a guy who was part of this, quote, union sort of organization. Uh, I, I also find it funny when he's always just like, Yakuza should be striving to be good. And I'm like, did the Yakuza produce these movies? <laughs> <laughs> is, is this just like yeah. their PR team being like, tell them how great we are? Or maybe the Yakuza <laughs> just didn't watch those movies. <laughs> maybe. So, yeah. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, so little historical uh, 
backdrop there. And um, yeah, I, one thing I did note too is, you know, Zetoichi, it is, there is emphasis uh, in the film on code. So there's, there is some influence on um, the West. Um, you know, you kind of saw some of the, uh, well, I, I think really more in the, you know, the 1800s and 1900s, there was a little bit less of a isolationist period during this time. And uh, you do see during, in the film, um, where Zadowichi does live by a, a, a code that is outside the law, but uh, also needing to be uh, honest. So he does live by a, a code of honor, so to speak. And I, d there does seem to be, a, you know, you talked about the Yakuza, um, a um, really a code of honor with within the Yakuza. I, you know, of course, in the, the third film, there is the, um, you know, needing to, Needing need for revenge, not just for revenge's sake, but uh, it, as to uh, adhere to this uh, particular uh, code of honor. So definitely see that. Yeah, one spoiler: not everybody adheres to that code of honor. <laughs> there are some bad yakuza people out there. So yeah, uh, maybe there is a, a cause and effect or a direct line of origin to uh, from Zadoichi to battles. Yeah. If everyone was good, it would make for a very boring Zatoichi movie. Good point. Good point. As uh, when we had Alex Cox, he mentioned everything's movies are better with two extremes. So uh, you know, maybe not always, but uh, it certainly worked here. Do you think we should talk about uh, what we've seen? Well, we've seen them all. So which ones have you seen, Mark? <laughs> yeah. So I, I saw I saw the first the first three films, and really my plan was to watch the first three, which. From what I understand, is really the uh, the the ones that follow kind of a storyline, and then it branches out from there, as I understand. And um, I wanted to see some of the other films, like really catch a, a later one, like uh, the one that sounded interesting was one that Tony Raines commented on, the Zedewichi and the chest uh, chess expert. Where, That's a good one. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know and you, you'd recommended that one too, Aaron. But yeah, it's, you know, I'm going to just save, I'm going to have to save those and I'm just going to go in order from here on out to kind of get the uh, the story. But um, something, you know, to uh, to look forward to. So, yeah, we, um, that, the first three are really a trilogy. They uh, pretty much, that's, that's really the, the narrative. The, they, uh, whereas the, the latter 22 or 23, if you count the, uh, you the go. 80s one. Those are standalone. They're, I mean, there's a little bit of. I mean, there, actually, there's a lot of character development from each one. So it's, but it's basically like a Law and Order episode. You know, you yeah. you're gonna follow these characters, but the story is self-contained. So you can, you can watch them after you watch the first three movies. You I can think the, just. I think the fourth one uh, is kind of like the final chapter. I think because that has oh, Otain okay. in it as well. Sorry oh, right, to right. burst your bubble that you did not finish all of the <laughs> all of the ones with that the... continuous story, but uh, you're good. You're fine. Nice. Yeah, I'll definitely have to to uh, to come come back to that. The uh, yeah. So I mean, what do you guys think about that? I mean, what's the best way to uh, to view the series? I kind of bugged Aaron a couple times. Uh, I mean, you've both seen the the whole thing, and I I wondered, you know, are these good for Friday night movies? You know, do you set up a, a movie marathon every Friday night? Are they best watched, you know, drunk at two in the morning after you've come <laughs> back from the bars? Uh, you know, uh, Dave, <laughs> <laughs> um, I can, uh, from personal experience, say that that is not the best time to watch the movies. Okay, uh, they can be a little slow, even though I really like them. Uh, that is the best time to fall asleep while watching one. Uh, okay, um, I will say that I, personally, I think you should watch them in order. I do not think you should create a schedule for yourself. I think you should just watch them when you feel like it. 
because I think if you tell yourself, okay, once a week I'm going to watch a Satsuichi movie, that's when it starts feeling like homework. It's, yeah, when it starts feeling yeah. like homework, it stops being fun. Mm-hmm. And I would say time, best time of day to watch a Satsuichi movie, uh, late afternoon on a Sunday. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, what's funny is Doug McCambridge, who we had on, I forget which episode he talked about this. Uh, it might have been an early one, uh, maybe 12 Angry Men. He mentioned that he wanted to have uh, Zatoichi Fridays, and, and I think he actually did get through the entire series this way. Yeah, I think so. And and I, I don't think he cared for it that much. Uh, maybe maybe we'll have to hear from him. Uh, Doug, chime in. But, uh, yeah, he, he seemed pretty negative, so maybe there's something to that. Maybe watching it once a week is not the way to go. Hmm. Yeah, non non scheduled. So you, it sounds like David, you're saying you know you want to be in the mood for it. Uh, exactly. Like I want to sit down and watch that Oichi, not not homework. Exactly. Yeah. And binging it definitely isn't good for the first way through. But this week I've been rewatching some, and I watched six like in a row almost. And wow. when you do it that way, and you've already seen the series, and you get to pick and choose which ones you really want to watch, mm. then it's completely mm-hmm. bingeable. Mm. I see. Yeah. Yeah, see, I, I did find them, really from the beginning, to be really watchable movies. Uh, I, I, my Sunday afternoon movies would be like a, an Ozu or a Kurosawa or, or a hmm. Mizuguchi. I love those movies. Maybe one of the more obscure art directors. I love those, but uh, but the, this one, there's a, there's a lot of action. Actually, there's not a lot of action, but there's enough action to keep your interest. It does follow a formula, so it's it's kind of light sometimes. Not so much like watching a TV show, but it does resemble a TV show, and I'm sure we'll get into why later. But uh, but I basically watched them over a period of about, I think, two to three years. Uh, and what I what I would do is I would just do a disc at a time, uh, and I wouldn't sure. quite binge them. I would, you know, just maybe I'd spend a week with that that disc, and uh, so three movies at a time. And for a while, I blogged them. I think I stopped with disc five, uh, really, because we started this darn podcast. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but then, as as I went along further along with it, I, I did get get a little uh, fatigued with it. Uh, so I I ended up kind of binging the end of the series to get to this podcast. Sure. And so I uh, so I, I probably should have you know worked them in a little more uh, you know here and there. But because uh, I I was very tired of it by the end. In fact, I think I I disliked some of the latter movies a little more than I probably should have if I revisited them. So um. So no, yeah, I think just find a schedule that works for you. Just don't be a slave to them. Don't binge them. Watch them when they feel like. I agree with Dave that you could watch them in order, but I also think there's. I don't think you have to watch them all. I think you could just watch the first three, four, and then go through some of these best of Zatoichi lists and watch, you know, Chess of Gold, Vengeance, Fire Festival. I'm sure we'll name several others, but yeah, makes sense. Cool. Yeah, it's something to look forward to. They, the the discs are a little bit hard to get out of the box set, so I'm just I'm, I'm taking the disc out and putting it on the shelf to remind me to watch it. I am so, so careful with those discs because I think it's disc three, which it, like I think might be like the strongest single disc. Keep slipping through when I open it up to the bottom. Uh. I'm afraid I'm gonna snap it in half when I close the thing. Mm. And th- those are some robust sleeves too. Oh, I mean, goodness. yeah. Are, like three feet it feels like uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, i think the blu-ray probably won't be quite as robust it'll probably be more like uh, those um i can't really maybe kind of like the uh the tatties but in a book form okay uh, hmm. interesting yeah that, that no. would make sense they i can... don't know yeah we'll find out i'm sure there'll, there'll be pictures yes so yeah 
So let's uh, let's double back a little bit and talk about you know Zadowichi the character himself. I mean, he he is the through line. Uh, he's in the t- the title, and you know these films do feature a number of different directors. So I'm curious what you guys think about uh, Zadowichi the the character. I I will kind of lead it off. I did mention before. I mean, he is a, a gambler, as is mentioned. He's a masseur. Uh, he is a I I quote-unquote called him a lover and buyer of women that does come up um, especially early on Uh, he's a bit of a wandering soul uh, a yakuza maybe you know as you alluded to dave he Um, is yep he He identifies yeah he has a a certain social level as we mentioned and of course oh that swordsmanship that he has so uh, yeah what what did you guys think about you know zadoichi and uh, who he is he's blind Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> He's a swordsman. Oh. Hmm. Uh, you you want to take it, Dave? Sure. I I actually think he's a really fascinating character, hmm. simply because, like we said, he is this person that's kind of doomed to a life of basically being a vagabond, uh, being this poor wanderer. And he didn't like that that's the life that he had set out for him, so he decided he was going to join the Yakuza. He's going to learn how to use a sword and no one was going to look down on him ever again. And he kind of became a bad guy because of that. And at some point before the first movie starts, he kind of finds his moral center and decides that he, the way that he was being is not better uh, and that he's probably even worse than had he just been a nobody. Hmm. And he's trying not to be violent anymore, but obviously the reputation that he has garnered and the... Uh, people he has interacted with are not going to allow for that so he's become this wandering soul as you said who's just going to go from place to place uh with his sword as his protector and will only draw it if need be and uh he has a lot of regret and a lot of self-loathing i think Mm -hmm. even though he really is a very kind person a very morally centered person and who wants to help out people who are being taken advantage of, probably because from his own perspective of being this lowest of the low, like you said, sure. Zato is the lowest title you can have. Uh, so he identifies with the other people that are low on the totem pole and hates when people who are higher up take advantage of people like that. Yeah, that that's uh, is great. Uh, he really is. Uh, he, I agree. He's a fascinating uh, character and. And even though, like like we just said, you don't have to watch him in sequence, he mm-hmm. he does his character does evolve uh, throughout the series, and uh, and around the middle of the series, well, well, first he begins, you know, he is like you said, a, a champion of young people. He does have these swordsman skills, which, by the way, not realistic. That's okay. We can ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> Blind people cannot do that nowhere ever in history, but that's okay. <laughs> are are you saying that? Daredevil isn't real either. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry to break break the the bad news to you, but no, but, but uh, not, blind not very people realistic. Are, but but the way that to which he makes it seem is just like, why do I even need these eyes? I would right. clearly be better off <laughs> yes. blind. Yeah, yeah well, I, the one thing about blind pe- blind people is they do have enhanced hearing. Actually, I've known a couple blind people, and, and that is definitely true. But uh, not not that hypersensitivity, unfortunately, not to that level. Yeah. Not to that level, but it, it so, kind of seems like he's you know when he when he is in sword slashing mode where he it's almost like he's just cutting air and people are just kind of getting in the way <laughs> of his sword somehow. You know, it's uh, interesting. I, well, I 
I can't imagine what it must have been like to be, like, one of the people that he has to fight. Because, I mean, Shintaro Katsu does have his eyes closed and is swinging around something it looks like it would hurt if you got hit by. Yeah. And I'm sure there were accidents uh, I'm on sh- set. <laughs> I'm sure there were. And <laughs> they were probably just like, you cannot show that you got hurt. You just need to walk it off because we're doing right. it again. <laughs> I can see the call for extras and then you read it and, ah, now pass. Yeah. <laughs> Guy that goes, oh. <laughs> uh, but anyway, back back to uh, who who Zatoichi is. So I I do think he is a uh, he does speak for the the uh, under underappreciated underprivileged uh, the the lower classes, and he is uh, sort of a superhero. Actually, no, he's not. He is a superhero. Uh, he he can do these phenomenal things, and we do see you know, every single movie he does something that's just and that's not just the. Um, carving people up in really three seconds who can take down four people but uh there's some sort of superhuman like uh, for example he does like to cut candles up you see that a lot right. there's little tricks like candles uh, <laughs> uh, or you know maybe he'll kill a bug or something or lots of little things so um but he's also as uh, as dave alluded to he he does have a, com- a sense of compassion uh, and a sense of guilt he never initiates the attack. He's pretty much always, with a couple small exceptions, he's always on the defensive, and mm-hmm. that's why it works. You know, he couldn't, being a blind guy. I think even in in this in this framework, that would strain credibility. But he's always defensive, and he always is, kind of orchestrates the situation to get his uh, aggressors to come at him. So it, it is more of a defense, not only for him, but also defending these people that he cares about. And then later he, he does meet uh, a lot of women, and I think this is where the character really comes into his own. Uh, uh, he, he's actually great around kids, and some, some of my favorite moments were, were just Katsu or Zadoichi encountering a kid. Actually, one of my least favorite uh, episodes had a, had a kid uh, favored, uh, featured prominently, too. But uh, So yeah, you do get a sense of compassion. I mean, he's a guy that's really easy to like. He's yeah. really easy to root for, even though he does kind of uh, walk the tightrope between ethics and morality. You know, he he does kill lots and lots of people. <laughs> I would love for somebody to do a body count on these movies to see exactly how many people he's killed because it's yeah. it's pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, it could, yeah. in some some movies, there's probably a hundred to two hundred in in those films. Wow! Uh, in each film, uh, they, it's it's massive, probably in the thousands. Yeah, I'd say that uh, to compare him to another big running uh, Japanese uh, series, he's probably killed more people than Godzilla. <laughs> and, <laughs> he's <comparison. laughs> and he's blind. And he's blind, and a yeah. person, not a. And he's uh, a person, yes. And not not a sort of lizard. <laughs> Many different uh, directors with uh, Godzilla films too. Little, you know, as, as along with his Edowichi films. That's true. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, you reminded me too of you know Mr. Miyagi would be on board with Zatoichi's way of doing things. You know, all karate for defense, never for attack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, uh, Mr. Miyagi would, I think would be on board with his humility. He yeah, he, he yeah. really never has an ego throughout the entire. I mean, no. he he's confident. He knows his abilities, right. and sometimes he might say, "Hey, I don't think you should do that." Uh, you know, he's not saying because I'm Zatoichi and I can mm-hmm. kill you in a second, but. Uh, that's maybe he should say that. I, if I knew the tale, I would probably be like, "Okay, you're Zadoichi. I'm, I'm I'm backing off. You can have this uh, <laughs> this money, or uh, I'll stop taking advantage of these villagers." It seems like he doesn't want people to know his his uh, title, his Zatoichi thing. Uh, 
And he's able to avoid that because apparently, I guess, every blind person at the time was named Ichi. Right, right. Right. And he's always kind of, uh, even though he does champion these people, it's kind of begrudgingly. He never really, you know, some, a lot of times they have to twist their his arm. And, and, and a lot of time that, that, that fits into the, the three-act structure. You know, they the first two-thirds are getting him to twist, uh, getting him involved. And then the mm-hmm. la- last act, of course, is that great sword fight. Mm-hmm. With him against fifty people, usually yeah. with barrel, barrels thrown at him, <laughs> like <Yeah>. Donkey Kong. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Got to take him out some way. Yeah, yeah there, there definitely is a there definitely is a formula there. You know, as you uh, as you alluded to, Aaron, I, I was thinking of really what Dave was talking about. With I liken this a bit to gangster films in that um, you think of the Godfather Three, of course, comes to mind, but there's other gangster films too where um, I think it was the Roaring Twenties maybe too, where it's really you're trying to, someone who's trying to get out and then you keep getting pulled back in. So in this case, mm-hmm. you know, the Yakuza keeps pulling Zatoichi into to this life. That's a big theme that uh, the one I, I, I left off on, number three. And I, I kind of see it coming too. I think with these films, you see where it's going to go. You see the setup of the antagonist, uh, so to speak. I mean, even the mm-hmm. in the first film, the antagonist is a is a friend of um of Zadoichi, but guess what um, a lot of films are like that yeah. <laughs> it does that not movie. change and, but you're right you know as far as the getting out of it he mm-hmm. literally leaves every at the end of every movie not not a spoiler he's a traveling uh masseur and he does try to get away from this corruption but guess what this town 10 miles away just as corrupt if not more so so uh right. I, I think that's just he couldn't get out of it that was the reality of society yeah and at the end of everything the theme song from the 1980s incredible hulk plays as he's walking away (laughs) yeah something similar very similar actually and there's often there's sunlight or him walking through fields Uh, so yeah as you alluded he does or it does follow a formula Uh, we kind of joke about it but in every movie there's going to be in just about every movie there's going to be some gambling there's Mm -hmm. going to be him you know somebody appeals to his uh his benevolence to help them mm. there's some some sort of boss uh and he of course is recruited and usually and here's the spoiler it's not really a spoiler he wins <laughs> well he makes it you'd figure that he'd make it through at least 24 films right since there's well, 25 right. and then a tv series and then a 26 one yes yeah so, so yeah so he does pretty good for himself you know he's going to survive it's yeah. true for a blind guy yeah does all right yeah, I really like the the period nature of these films too. I, I think they capture it well. Uh, you know, I think you're immediately in this this time frame, um, so I, I think the, the they they certainly do that well. Um, and mm-hmm. I like how you know the, we did. Uh, I was really pulled in early on with the character of the uh, the Ronin uh, with nothing to kind of live for, and we get into those philosophical discussions. I understand those philosophical discussions come back too, which. Uh, mm-hmm. Something to look forward to, you know, that there's um, some, if, if you like speaking parts, uh, philosophy, uh, there's something to look forward to rather than just the sword fighting. I will say that uh, the the film in which you're, you're talking about, the um, the friend turned enemy, I think that was the best. I think they, they weren't ever as good. Even the, mm-hmm. uh, the Yojimbo and One-Armed Swordsman, I, I, I think they don't compare. Uh, so I, I think basically it became more the, uh, the Zatoichi show uh, right. or the... Shintaro Katsu show and uh, and also to the formula 
as the series progressed, they do kind of play with it a little bit. Uh, even like gambling, uh, of course, the gambling is pretty much the same every single time. But mm-hmm. like, I, I seem to remember towards the end they had different sort of games. I, am I is that right, Dave? Oh, geez, I well, there's I'm, dice, and then there there's even odd. Yes. So, uh, yeah, like I, little but, things. I, I was, of course, rewatching all the first ones, so now I'm all thinking, just like, what was he doing in those early ones? Yeah, they, they've got to kind of blend together after a while. They, yeah. they do. They do. Yes, yeah. I can't remember anything about. It. And I blogged them, but I purposely didn't read my blogs because I, <laughs> I thought that would just confuse myself more. Mm-hmm. It, w- it was actually kind of crazy. One of the ones I rewatched was uh, Satoichi's Flashing Sword because I, I was kind of like turning to Twitter to see like, hey, what are some good, good ones one. to rewatch? And that is a great mm-hmm. one. Yes. And I completely forgot like, oh, that great scene's in this one? Oh, mm-hmm. that great scene's in this one too. Nice. So it, it, because I think it's because of the fact that it's this very similar formula. You can almost like drag and drop pieces in and it would still be, make a coherent story mm-hmm. almost, even if you took it from a scene from this movie, a scene from that movie. Dave, you should and, make a supercut of Zatoichi. I you know, should. All the best, you know, the <laughs> Zatoichi box set supercut. Make it yeah. a clip show, like Love on the Run. Perfect. Yeah. Right. It'll just be Zatoichi thinking about the things he's done, and it'll be 17 hours long. <laughs> and more, probably more like two. <laughs> you can cut out a lot. But uh, that one thing I do like about some of the better ones is that where well, they do uh, – play with the formula they make things a little bit more interesting like you know they can't just throw 50 guys at them and so they and i i I can't remember specifics but they throw different elements like fire festival they have fire involved duh uh that that works well and then uh, there's some others where they have other obstacles i think there was Mm -hmm. one where they they did something to to try to did they play a sound i think i think there's a couple where they try to play drums to distract him i think right right i think it's zatoichi's vengeance where he's on a bridge and the whole thing's in silhouette, and they just have the drums coming towards him as he's cutting people up. That's one of the best fight scenes. Mm. Right, yeah. There's some, some good ones. And uh, and actually, I think around, around the middle of the series, I think, had some of the best fight scenes because the, mm-hmm. they, they, they were pretty inventive with what they threw at him. Yeah. It wasn't just... Uh, but the first few, even though I, I do like... The, I'm, Katsu, to his credit, was just an amazing swords, swordsman, and I think he kept that up, even though he got heavier... His uh, his <laughs> skills were. Uh, that's one thing if you watch an early one versus a later one. It's yeah. like, hey, guy, put on some pounds. <laughs> it's easy to know uh, how far into the series you are based on that. Oh right, yeah. the BMI is, uh, scale. <laughs> he's at a tw- he's at a twelve right now. I must be watching Chess Expert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> So I'm curious what you guys think about, you know, him as, again, Ichi as a character. I mean, is he a hero? Is he a villain? Is he, is it a gray area? Is he somewhere in between? Um, it's one thing I thought about a lot in just watching the first three films. We talked about the the body count. He does kill a lot. And, you know, things I know to myself, I'm like, you know, does it really weigh on him? What does he truly think of himself at this point uh, in his life? And I, I didn't feel like I knew him quite as much as obviously I would if I was able to see more films. Um, but, you know, kind of his because you get a bit of his backstory, but still trying to understand 
who Zadoichi is, and you get you kind of get little bits and pieces about his past, like um, you know familial aspects that mm-hmm. come in. Um, you know his training comes in. So, but you know, what did you? I'll turn to you first, Dave. Just you know, Zadoichi is he a hero? Is he a villain? Is he somewhere in between? You know, what are those elements? I think that if this is a completely real world thing, he would be something in between. But I think that within the framework of the movie, he is like this almost absolute good that thinks of himself mm-hmm. as the villain. Because he's okay. probably morally like the least corrupt person within the series who does not want to kill, but is just forced to kill by people worse than him. But ultimately throughout the series, he, like we've said multiple times, he has that guilt. He thinks of himself. Like each person that he kills weighs on him, man. It, as the series progresses, it gets darker, and even his psyche almost gets a little bit darker, even if he maintains that, like, I'm not going to do harm to good people. I'm only going to do harm to the bad people, even even in the gambling. Even sure. in the gambling. Yeah, that's true. Uh, he's he's basically Robin Hood, is yeah. what he is. So, so yeah, Robin Hood steals from the, uh, the, the rich and gives to the poor. He kills the rich and, uh, well, I guess doesn't kill the poor. <laughs> well, he, he only kills the poor that are thrown at him by the rich. Uh, yeah. No, I All think right. that's, that's a great analogy with the, uh, the body count. And if, if you know, in the, at the time, and he was a fugitive. That you do hear that constantly. There's a bounty on his head. So by the people, the people in power definitely thought of him as a, uh, a villain. Uh, sure. And, and actually, uh, there's a good comparison with superheroes today. And, and actually, even though I don't like it, but Batman v Superman kind of addressed this, but they do all this damage. The Avenger, Avengers destroy right. a city, but they are the heroes. But if you really think about it, like, okay, well, I guess we were saved from outer space, but Iron Man blew up my building, so... Is that to <laughs> so, which he so he's kind of blown up any buildings? <laughs> that, but he could. Yeah. He could. If, there if he there were to. not any buildings. That's, yeah. that's the... Thank goodness he only has a sword. <laughs> he doesn't have bombs. Yeah. Boy, that that's some. Uh, I, I could see them them bringing Zatoichi back as a superhero. Actually, I, I think it could work. The yeah. blind swordsman, actually, Daredevil is almost that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Sure. I, I'm actually surprised there hasn't been more media lately with the character because of the fact that it's so such a relatable character. I know that uh, uh, Takani. What, what's his name? Takashi. Katano. Katano. Yeah. Takashi Katano. Did the 2003 one, which I still have not actually seen, but since then I, there's one other thing about like one of his blind pupils, just called Ichi. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it was a female. Yeah, wasn't it? yeah. But I, I feel like anime should have done something with this by oh, now. Oh yeah, same thought. And I almost feel like the fact that nothing really has been done with it just shows how much of this character is just, uh, Chintaro. Uh, like God, I cannot remember any of the Japanese. Katsu. Katsu. <laughs> it's it's yeah. tough. Yeah. It's. <laughs> All the names all at once. Uh, it's, it's it's fully Katsu. Like, he embodies it so fully that almost no one else can really replicate mm-hmm. it, and the character is almost solely his. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Uh, uh, Katano's 2003... No, no, Katano spent the 90s really developing his craft, and I, I'd say that, you know, far more than any of the directors on this series, he was an auteur and had a, a style, and he applied that to the Zatoichi uh, franchise, and I, I have seen it, but I saw it uh, probably ten years ago, maybe not too long after it came out, and hadn't hadn't seen any Zatoichi, and that was really my first exposure to it. And I I remember being not getting the hype, not uh, being into mm. it that much, but I, I I wish I had a chance to rewatch it now. Yeah. Uh, 
it seems to be you know well well regarded. I'm I'm with you, Dave. I I think it it's something that could certainly be revisitable. I I thought about um, you know I, I know they talk about how this is a serialized uh, hero that we follow in films that would normally today be done in uh, television. You know, it's just you know, mm-hmm. that kind of broadcast TV came late to. Um, you know Japan, and I could see this becoming uh, another TV series, maybe an anime. And I, I think of uh, really that that uh, comparison with the way that we in America often consume. Um, you know, obviously, comic book films are very big right now, and he is. You, you alluded to the superhero nature almost of, of Ichi. You know, I could see that kind of filling that gap for uh, Japanese audiences, and maybe even you know for for our our audiences. So maybe. You know, like a, a comic book, um, you know, anime, uh, like you said, it seems like we, we need uh, this kind of hero to to follow, um, you know, through the uh, the films. And he's even, he, you could even say he's, uh, I, I don't, something I was struggling with is, is he really, you know, an anti-hero, um, you know, between hero and villain? Is he really an anti-hero? Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm still kind of struggling with that because it's someone who, you know, uh, if the an antihero is a protagonist who's not doesn't have the normal heroic um, kinds of attributes, and I I think uh, Ichi does have uh, some of those attributes. So yeah, you mm-hmm. know, I, I I think it's just a matter of time before we see this character revived yeah. in some form. And it it's I think it's crazy. I not to get completely off topic. There's a Japanese market in my neighborhood that I go to to get food and they have a TV constantly playing a live stream of uh, Japanese TV and every time I go there they're playing like a soap opera that's still set in that time period so like mm-hmm. the, the judeki or however you say that word it's still a very popular uh, thing in Japan it didn't kind of go out the way that the western did here they're still kind of still exploring that time period still seeing what, what that has to give so again I, a matter of time and I think you can't underestimate the influence of the films, too, uh, in, this, in the franchise onto other serials. Now, uh, we'll talk about it later, but uh, serials were very common because of the, the lack of TV. But it, there were a whole bunch in the 70s, and actually we've already talked about one, Lady Snowblood. I think, uh, especially the later films, you can, you can make a connection there. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, Hanzo the Razor, which actually had Katsu. And, and then a lot of the, uh, the serials... Uh, Japanese and American, I think you can uh, draw a parallel. People did watch these movies, and, and we also, even though they're, they're seen as escapist entertainment for the most part, they were made by the people that were working in the industry, that were working on Kurosawa films and, and other high-quality. Um, and actually, a lot of the actors, uh, there was Amira Nakadai, uh, Kei Sato. Uh, there's a lot of talent on these projects. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, some, uh, uh, yeah, you you see some um, folks come from from other films. I think even uh, even later, can't remember some of the actors' names, but yeah. Well, there was Yo Jimbo and uh, One Arm Swordsman are really the. Yep. I think those are really the only two. Yeah. Okay. And Yo Jimbo is really not the it, Toshiro Mifune is in the the film, but it's not the same Yo Jimbo at all. Mm. In, no. In fact, in fact, that one sucks. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that's the worst one. It, it, in my opinion, it's a. Uh, I actually made a list. I'll put it in the show notes of my favorites, the the letterbox uh, on Letterboxd, and um, and I think that was my my least favorite. Mm. In fact, I, I have it here. No, actually, uh, Zetoichi the Outlaw was my least favorite. Of course, I can't really remember. 
but it was second to last. And uh, my mm. favorites were um, Zatoichi Challenged, Zatoichi at the Fire Festival, Zatoichi's Pilgrimage, uh, Flashing Sword, Chess Expert, and then uh, the first th- the one, three, and four follow. Um, nice. I think your favorites might be the same exact as mine. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Pilgrimage. Cool. Yeah. Pilgrimage, I don't think I like quite as much as you do, even though it did have, uh, sh- oh my goodness, all the names. Shinado, Shinado. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you were you didn't have to memorize these before the show. Exactly. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of names, yeah. a lot of movies. But Pilgrimage is interesting because it's written by the guy that did Onibaba and uh, right. The Naked oh, Island. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I kind of wish they had gone with his original idea with just him going to these 88 temples, but they had to make it a little bit more formulaic. Well, uh, I, I like that one because they did slow it down a little bit, they did. and it's a they little did. more meditative. It uh, is. And it, it was a breakup mm-hmm. from the formula. And of course, this is my my memory is it's really terrible of all of these, but yeah, that one I remember a little more than most. I remember him going up the temple stairs. That's a great shot. That yeah. is an amazing shot, and that's what the mm-hmm. illustration is actually in the book. And I think it's a pretty good illustration as well. Yeah, yeah. In fact, all the covers are just tremendous. Yeah. So really, uh, and we'll talk about the packaging, but just bang up job. Yeah, and, I, and if I were to add another favorite, I, I don't know if you liked this one as much as I did, but I liked Fight, Zetuichi Fight. That's another slow mm. one. That's the that's the first one where he has a baby in his toe. Uh, which you is, know what? That's, that's that... actually, that's the one I didn't like. Oh, <laughs> I like that one. But, and, you know, they're so subjective, and also mm. I, a lot of times it's the product of your mindset going into them. So I, I, I have some that uh, I, I was just looking through other lists, best of lists uh, before the show, and some of the ones I hate, uh, people have in their top five. So mm-hmm. I, you really, it's there's no consensus. And if you look at IMDb, they're pretty much all like seven point two, seven point oh, three. Yeah. I, even the even Yojimbo. Yeah, and that's that one's not good. It's not. <laughs> and and that one's directed by the guy that did Sort of Doom, and Sort of Doom's a great I know, movie. Right? I know, mm-hmm. and it's the longest one and too. Kill. It's I yeah. think it's over uh, two hours or close to it. It is, yeah. and I remember that was like when I saw that that's in here. It's like I need to get that box set. I mm-hmm. need to see what happens there. It's like, but I'm not going to watch it first. I'm going to go through everything. And it's like I'm finally here. I'm finally at the Yojimbo one, and it was so <laughs> and disappointing. The bubble burst. I actually wanted to rewatch Yojimbo before I got to that. In fact, I was mm. hoping we could do a podcast on it, and I'm so glad I didn't because yeah. I think it would have hurt uh, Yojimbo and uh, Mifuni. So yeah. Uh, I think it's well. Some people do like it. I've seen uh, some people that we know have have praised it. But I I, I say that you know if you're getting burnout, skip it because a, a hmm. couple of the ones surrounding it are pretty good. And that's uh, and that's another one. Kind of going back to the formula. There's so many different kinds of formulas. Mm-hmm. I, I find it interesting that one of the formulas is Zatu or Ichi goes back to his hometown, and the hometown is obviously always different each time he goes there. Right, huh. right. <laughs> and that's one of the ones where he goes back to his hometown. And there's the uh, Zatuichi needs to take care of a kid. Mm-hmm. That's another formula. Zatuichi uh, finds a dying person who says, "You need to give this message to somebody." Right, right. <laughs> there so, we go. There's a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really like the one where the lady just plummeted uh, down through a bridge. <laughs> That, to a horrific death. That one. Mm. That one's the weirdest one. Zatuichi yeah. in desperation. That's the one that uh, Katsu directed himself. That's right. That's right. And I. I think I liked. Yeah. You know, actually, I had that as number number ten. I, but that that means nothing. <laughs> I. I don't know. Like I kind of both really like that one and also kind of really dislike it because it's so weird, and it gets so violent, and it gets very graphic too. 
It's mm. also more stylized, I, yeah. I think, in a lot of respects. But also, you could tell maybe this was Katsu not being as experienced behind the camera, but it was it seemed kind of amateur too. There were some shots I was like, "What are they doing here?" Yeah. Uh, so it's very trippy and grindhousey as well, especially each time he yeah, like there's... remembers that woman falling through the bridge like ten right. times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little flashbacks, a little clip show of uh, chick flying. Flying through the bridge. It's the, the love on the run of the Zatoichi series. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. one of the more gruesome uh, uh, plot developments or plot uh, origins. I couldn't... I, mm-hmm. uh, or I, oh, plot origins. There's something that happens that's really violent later on in that movie that I just couldn't believe they did. Yeah, well, I, and that's... It does get a lot darker. I, yeah. I think about mm-hmm. midpoint, way, midpoint through the series. Mm-hmm. Then you start, you know... When we've talked about snow blood and the exploding blood, I remember going back and towards the end thinking, "Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to see that. It's it's relatively tame." No, Ooh. you get that. It does get there. Yeah. It gets there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, early on, there's very little blood. You just see, um, you know, the the first couple films, you see blood splash on his face once, and I think once on the sword. Um, but yeah, not very bloodless early on. I think... It's also black and white too. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think Flashing Sword is the first blood explosion, and you don't even see it like it's against like the the Japanese paper walls, and then a guy comes flying through it. Hmm. <laughs> So, Dave, would you say were there any that were, aside from Yojimbo, that were absolutely terrible? Or do you think they all had, like, a, a reasonable level of quality? And I think they all had a reasonable level of quality. I think there are some mm. that just, I almost can barely remember some of them because of the fact that they were so, like, like Zatuichi at large, which is one of the later ones, I think is very, I don't want to call it mediocre, but it's pretty forgettable. I, I, yeah. I, I think, again, at worst, outside of Zatuichi meets Yojimbo, and maybe that's just because I was disappointed... Mm-hmm. The worst the Zatoichi movies are, in my opinion, is forgettable. Yeah, I had Zatoichi the Outlaw as the worst, uh, but I'd say there are probably about six, seven that I would categorize as bad movies, and there's another six or seven that I'd categorize as really good movies, and then I'd say the rest are pretty much just mediocre. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's big highs, low, low. Uh, well, not, I mean, we're not going to compare this with like. Uh, some of the uh, the grindhouse stuff uh, that was even coming out in Japan at the time, even like Stray Cat, Stray Cat Rock, which is okay, but you know, I would say the lowest of these is probably about the best of those. Yeah, uh, sorry for any Stray Cat Rock fans. <laughs> and if I could add one more that I remembered being particularly disappointed by, it's Zatuichi and the Doomed Man. Hmm. Yeah, and and I'm I'm actually looking through my list, and I had that one as twenty, and I had uh, conspiracy. The last one is twenty five. Uh, we probably disagree there. I oh, had that. I, I like the I like the last one. I think the last one's a good endpoint. Uh, yeah, I, I think by that point I was just burned out because I'd binged the last four. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I don't even remember why I didn't like it, but I, I think I was just tired of it. I, <laughs> I, I'll give it another shot someday. If, <laughs> just yeah, if you take day. anything, if you take anything away from this podcast, don't binge. Um, you know, maybe watch them in order, but uh, give yourself some time and be in the mood for it. Yeah, certainly right. mo- mood pieces. 
at, at least put a day between each watch. Uh, you can right. easily watch three on a, on a day. You know that we're talking four and a half hours. Yeah, it's it's feasible. Yeah, yeah I I'd, uh, I'd say the majority of them are under ninety minutes, with the exception of Zetuichi meets Yojimbo. Yep. Yep. That yep. damn film. It's a good <laughs> good thing. Good 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 thing they're kind of short. It it actually gets to one of my. Uh, I really like just how tight the second one is. Um, <laughs> the tale of Zetuichi continues. I mean, it's seventy two minutes. Um, it is kind of uh, when you look at the films. The first two are black and white. I believe the rest are color. Yes. And I like that. It kind of gives you know the introduction gives a bit of um, mis- a bit of a mysterious nature to to Zadowichi, Um, You know, like I think black and white does for films, and it does open up with the uh, the rest of the you know with the color film. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that certainly helps Zadowichi kind of as as he goes along. But there's some really nice. Um, some low camera angles in the second film, some nice short tracking shots I liked. Um, the third one has just this great shot uh, between um, the the brother of uh, Kanbei's legs, and you see, you know, he's in a position of power over Zadowichi, um, and there's also yeah, Yayoi kind of to the left. Just some nice, uh, nice camera angles. Uh, I was not really surprised to see in these films, but, uh, you know, I, I thought the, I, I just love, and I, I love, I'm not going to say what happens, but I love the second, uh, film, the way it just ends. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's very impressive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first three are, um, the first three are consistently good. Actually the first four, uh, the, the quadrilogy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, like I said, the middle ones there, there is more stylization. So that's why I think the best of the series is, is in the middle somewhere, uh, with, you know, fire festivals towards the end. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, no. I think from a character perspective, the first three, four are exceptional. Um, and uh, and and he had great dynamic with the uh, the rest of the uh, the cast. And and I like sure. his mentors or his uh, his rivals. Uh, yeah. The thing is, those were three years ago, and I just don't remember them. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's hard. Well, you know, the through line through the films, of course, is uh, Zedoichi played by Shintaro Katsu. So, uh, you know, we'd, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about him a bit. Uh, you know, curious. He's a big figure in the supplements, of course, too. There's one just about him, and he's our through line through these movies. We follow him. So, uh, yep. Dave, what do you think of uh, Shintaro Katsu? I was really surprised when I saw that documentary to see what he's like, because as we said before, <laughs> uh, Zatoichi, or Ichi as a character has no ego. And Shintaro Katsu is all ego. All ego, yeah. I, well, kind of, kind of. We'll get, we'll get there. I, I kind of, I can see that maybe playing the character for so long and being such a huge star might have gotten to his head. But uh, he seemed like a bit of a tyrant on set. Uh, <laughs> they were, because fo- it was following them making one of the TV episodes that he was also directing. And he's literally like, and as, as someone who studied filmmaking, one of the first things they tell you when you're directing is don't tell people exactly what to do. Hmm. And he's telling hmm. people exactly what to do. <laughs> um, he puts his hand up like this, and that means he needs a cigarette immediately. Uh, and they need to have yeah, lit it for great. him. And he gets angry at someone because he did that, and he had to wait for a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't know. I maybe Maybe every Japanese director at the time was kind of like that, but... He, uh, yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> probably not. And then it shows him at discotheques getting drunk and punching a cab driver because he <laughs> thought that the cab driver was making a pass at the leading lady in the film that he was with. And they're interviewing people that are on the crew and they're really scared to talk about him. It's just like, he shouldn't drink when he's <laughs> tired. 
I think when right. he's tired, it's a bad idea. Right. And he's tired a lot. <laughs> yeah. So basically, he shouldn't drink. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sadly, he, he did drink and smoke a lot. And he passed of a cancer. I forget what, what type mm. of cancer, but it's the type that you get from uh, drinking and smoking. I mean, he did live in, into his 60s. I forget the exact, uh, maybe 66, 67. But he lived hard. Uh and his lifestyle definitely did not parallel his character. Uh, at least this character, maybe maybe Hansy the Razor a little bit. But um, yeah. but as far as his his performance though throughout this these films, I mean, first off, the guy could do blind. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. He could. The eyelids fluttering. I mean, he was so good at it, and just and also the kind of the blank stare. You know, you see yeah. the whites of the eyes. I wondered okay. if he was if he was blind. I really did. You know, going into this, I'm like, how does he, as an actor, um, you know, not knowing at the time if he was blind or, or not, do these sword moves if he is in fact blind? And you know, come to find out, he's not. But there would be a lot <laughs> yeah. of dead people on set if he yeah, was actually right. blind. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually really weird to see him with his eyes fully open because he looks mm-hmm. like a completely different person. That yeah. scene, in the, yeah, that's in the first film. I, that was one of the ones that really took me aback. It's a really, um, I mean, they must have used, you know, some kind of contacts or yeah. something. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's a really kind of ah moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just his mannerism. I, I think he, performance-wise, he, he does a great job throughout the film. Of course, you know, just like anything, any serial, that you're not going to get their A game every day. But I, I also think that, uh, and, and this was kind of touched on with the special features, but they, he, his humanity does come through. And I think a lot of the stuff like, uh, like for example, the documentary, they show him with his kids one point, And you can tell that the guy, right. despite his, his failings, he's really, he loves his kids and he really is devo- devoted towards them. Yeah. And yeah, you but definitely don't, don't make see a pass at his series. daughter, though. No. Yeah. Right. Don't make yeah, a pass yeah. at his daughter or you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll say uh, he's definitely more of an, ag- an aggressor in real life than uh, yeah. in the films. Uh, but no, I, 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 tremendous actor. And I think the series is, is remembered and has the, this sort of legacy because of him. Because Ooh. of, yeah. Yeah, he. I mean, he was destined to be uh, uh, some kind of a star. He just needed the right, um, you know, the right uh, um, role to do so. And you know, of course, they get that into the supplements. He tried to be James Dean uh, early on, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, he. He's he's the through right. line. I mean, he really keeps things going. He's such a such a presence on screen as a uh, a blind man, and he plays it uh, so well. Um, so apparently, he was. Uh, um, taught by um, a, a blind uh, musician, so he was mm-hmm. the right one to uh, to play him. But um, and, you know, the other uh, Dave, you talked about the the directing. Uh, one of the one of the uh, I think he was directing or producer in the film where um, there's a line where he says to someone, uh, "Spare us the fancy acting. You're a peasant, not a lord." So <laughs> if you want an idea of um, you know Katsu as a director, that that's that's it. And he he didn't uh, he, his production company took over around midway through the series and and I think he directed one of the is that right of the twenty five he did uh, he did in desperation the weird trippy right. one and then he uh, he but he did direct a lot of the TV as as we saw yeah the, the one in particular I I would have been very interested to see some of the behind the scenes footage from the actual movies because I mean they were using like a station wagon as their uh, dolly in the TV show <laughs> I was wondering if the production values were quite as low during the TV or the movie era right. Yeah, and you know, I have a feeling that if we did see the productions or behind the scenes uh, from the early films, we would see him a lot more humble. You know, yeah. we did see him in '78 versus '61, yeah. and you know, he had a lot of uh, a lot of booze in him in the yeah. ensuing years. 
So, and I think you can kind of see that with his character too, and it's somewhat in the series too, because it does get a little more disjointed and uh, raw. So why don't we, uh, you know, it's uh, we mentioned how it's one spine, and uh, we're really reviewing twenty five films at once. <laughs> so we kind of need a, a collective rating uh, for this. But you know, any kind of final thoughts on the films, Dave, and what would you give the overall collective film rating? Okay, Zadowichi. I would say the majority of the films average out to about a seven. Some of them I gave an eight. I don't think I gave anything higher than an eight. Yeah. Uh, are we? But for the full box that we're talking. Well, really, for the films themselves, because sure. uh, the, we'll, we'll give a criterion rating, too, for the overall package. I'm going to say for the films themselves, between a 7 and a 7.5, somewhere in there. 7.25. Yep. You're, you're <laughs> in lockstep with IMDb. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> I, I think that probably somebody just went through and just rated them all 10s. Yeah. That, that probably happened a lot. Probably. Well, just looking at my letterbox ratings, and I, I just, like I said, I can't remember all of them well enough to really uh, to go into and defend some of the ones I hate or, or the ones I love. I, I, I have it from four, uh, two stars out of five to four stars out of five. So, yeah, I'd say probably the midpoint is about six and a half, seven. So I, I, if we're just going to put a number on it, I'd, I'd say seven. That's yeah. fair. It's it's very fair. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting that you know there there isn't a lot of ratings that dip very low overall on IMDb. I mean, pretty consistent. You know, like uh, whether you have your there's no super highs and no really super lows as you might see with some directors. It's just a you know, kind of solid uh, group of films. It seems like overall, you know, some mediocrity. But so, what would you rate the first three? I would, I'd, I mean, I could go seven or eight, you know. I mean, I, I like uh, the first three quite a bit. I, I'm hoping, it sounds like I might be a little bit disappointed as I go along because those films are pretty pretty solid uh, overall, but, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, but, you, you yeah. will be. <laughs> <laughs> but you also, you also won't be. You know, yeah. I, right. I guess the With question is, ones. even though there are, there are low points, which we've already touched on, I'd say the series is well worth watching. Yeah, uh, yeah. I agree, 100%. So let's um, let's talk. We wanted to get into the supplements a bit. There really isn't a lot of supplements, um, as we had noted. Uh, there are. Um, I'll, I'll just kind of lead in and just mention what they are. There is the documentary we talked about. It's about an hour long. The Blind Swordsman. That's from 1978. Um, Dave's going to talk about that. There's a director interview uh, with the director John Nathan. Uh, about that documentary and then the serialized success with the great Tony Raines. And of course it comes with a gorgeous book. Thank you Criterion for giving yes. us uh, <laughs> a book. <laughs> it is awesome. Um, with uh, you know a page about each each film and a uh, essay early in the book too if I remember. So it's uh, nice to have that and trailers for each film. I think the trailers are you know two plus minutes for each. So if you're into that kind of thing, you can you can binge on trailers. So, I did not. But, uh, <laughs> I passed. <laughs> I, I watched the first one. I was like, do I do I need to watch all of these? An right. hour or two, right. or two watching trailers. I no no. I'm good. No. You got a, You got a, You got a flavor. So Dave, you were going to talk about the first documentary, The Blind Swordsman. Um, so from 1978. What did you think of this one? I think it's a really good and telling documentary. Uh, I already kind of delved into it a little bit talking about. Shintaro Katsu, whose mm-hmm. name I think I'm saying correctly again. I believe so. I believe yeah. so. Probably not. That's okay. Uh, whatever. <laughs> um, but no, it's uh, again, it's kind of going through the making of a, one of the episodes of the television series, uh, and it's being produced by a, an American who was living in Japan at the time. It's uh, part two of a three-part series that he was making for PBS. I believe I found out. 
Mm-hmm. And I also found it interesting that he's using the crew that Teshikahara used to make Woman of the Dunes to make this documentary. Right. That was something, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I kind of wasted, but yeah, <laughs> why not? <laughs> no, th- yeah, this is not a... I-, I would not call this an elaborate production. It's pretty... Uh, <laughs> uh, they're probably shooting on either 16mm or 8mm. We're right. just seeing uh, Katsu behind the camera being a bit of a tyrant there, getting drunk, becoming violent... But at the same time, you kind of see that he's also a bit of a sweet guy. He's just like, you're my best friend, John. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want, I'm going to give it to you. It's like, wow, you just need to be on this guy's good side and you can get <laughs> it's what It's like hanging out with a <laughs> drunk friend, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he's, yeah. He's Japan's drunk friend. <laughs> <laughs> and rather than lower, lower classes, you just have to be a film director. Exactly. And, <laughs> yeah, as long as you're or, also... Or a hot uh, leading lady. <laughs> which, right. which apparently in his personal life he had many encounters with. Uh, sure. And yeah, you get to see him with his family uh, and his kids uh, went to school like in an English-speaking school. Yeah. And he only wants mm. to speak English with them because he wants to learn English. <laughs> uh, and there's a very interesting scene where he's in a hotel room uh, in a bed next to pictures of himself. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> which I feel like him in that bed next to pictures of himself and three empty beer bottles talking to his kids in broken English is unfortunately paints a very telling picture of where he was in his life. And I actually thought the documentary was really sad because like we said, he probably was not like this earlier in his career and his ego had probably really gotten to him. And there's Mm. just this sense of like, what has happened to this man? Almost the price of fame. And it's a a tragic, it's a Citizen Kane-esque story of what happened to him. Yeah, that's fair. But it also kind of goes into uh, the kind of person that he could have been because of the fact that his father ran a shamisen school. Right. And he was, mm-hmm. I guess he's the older Very brother because he, he does have a younger brother who's in some of the movies and is the lone wolf of the Lone Wolf and Cub series. And uh, nice. they, there's a point in it in which he's supposed to be performing at a concert with his dad, but everyone agrees that he's hurt his pinky too much that he shouldn't play, which hmm. is probably him saying, I hurt my pinky. Please tell me I shouldn't do this. <laughs> I, I feel bad laughing at the guy, though. Uh, but it's it's a sad portrayal of where he was in his life in the late 70s. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty sad. Uh, but there was some sweetness. Uh, and we should also point out that he spends his... Oh, they said that he worked his own schedule and basically just showed up to the set whenever. I, I thought that was yeah. kind of interesting how, how you, uh, a set could function like that. But... Uh, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he'd be partying and carousing. And then sometimes you'd, there was one time he didn't have a voice and that was early in the, in the documentary. And I'm thinking, well, why would, was he screaming on set? But no, then you go to, to, you know, karaoke with, uh, you know, 20 sakes and you're like, okay, I get it. (laughs) Singing Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. Yeah. uh, Superstition. Uh, that was a neat scene when he was, uh, flirting with the girl and, you know, she, uh, she succumbs. (laughs) <laughs> interesting mm-hmm. story I'm sure you'll get to that but I thought it was an inter- interesting documentary and yeah. I actually would recommend that you don't wait through to until you get to the end of the series to watch it you know f- feel free to put it on in the middle and then yeah. just I, th- I think that'll actually color the way you watch uh, some of the series uh, maybe maybe halfway the latter half yeah uh, I was but, glad I watched it now you know just just for that reason like you said Aaron yeah I think it'll be it'll inform a bit he, he does talk about his his uh, some influences or at least some great actors he mentions Brando and Jean Gabin um, there you go you know the French actor so he's you know certainly versed in uh, in acting and he he also do, even though he does have an ego most of the time he, he goes out of his way to uh, 
to say he doesn't or to, to try to like <laughs> right. look humble. And in fact, even just let it, allowing these film ca- cameras in and uh, doing this little uh, direct cinema uh, uh, project showing the worst of him, I think is actually show, shows a little bit of humility in a way yeah. uh, that, that he let this out there. And he didn't edit, he only edited one scene during the, uh, the, that dancing superstition that got a little more, right. <laughs> a little more racy, so that he would not get murdered by a judo right. champion or a That's sumo support. champion, whatever he was. Can't blame him. I yeah, <laughs> edit that yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I love the musical uh, part too, where he's playing the shamisen, uh, kind of jamming on it. There's a few. They're playing some chords that they actually perform too, and to me, it sounds like heavy metal. It was Metallica, that yeah, strong. yeah, <laughs> that was great. Just love the music. It, that was a neat, neat sequence. Uh, I, I liked the documentary. I saw it didn't get a lot of love online, but really, you know, yeah, this mixed kind of. I think. I, I think the only thing I could say against it was that I wish that there was another documentary about the series. I think the documentary, as it's presented, exactly. is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you. I, I would have liked more. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. it's a good, you know, good, good insight. And yeah, so well, good transition into the director interview. So John Nathan, who was the the one who interviewed um, or you know really produced this documentary I believe over a year with Katsu talks about the filmmaking process uh, as he is now so this was a a new documentary made by uh, Criterion and uh, you know he he talks about how it was three months worth of uh, filming and telling and uh, how he talks about the connection uh, through Teshigahara in the film Summer Soldiers I believe which he wrote um, how Katsu was a son of the uh, Shamisen school and uh, how you know, he didn't go into the, the family business. Uh, he gets into you know, Katsu's early part. So I, I think you get even more, really almost more of a, you see Katsu the man in the documentary, but in this you see some of the behind the scenes um, and you know influences and where Katsu came from because he talks about the how he played some kind of James Dean types of characters early on. And mm-hmm. then, um, you know, the script for Zadowichi came in. And as I mentioned before, you know, he had uh, gone to school with a shamisen player who was blind. So, you know, there it is. The, the, you know, the, the, uh, the bricks were laid for him to, uh, to do that. And, uh, yeah, you know, very – he talks about how he's macho but has a calibrated sensitivity um, and to his filmmaking. And, you know, you, I think you can see that in the – the character, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think Reigns kind of talks about how the character of Zadowichi kind of morphs into uh, Katsu kind of uh, later on. But, uh, yeah, and how he's, you know, very unpredictable. I really, um, I, I can see how folks, you know, might not be big fans of the documentary itself because it is almost an hour and, you know, grainier. And, but I, I like the behind-the-scenes nature of it. But I think this is like the perfect kind of supplement to that of, 18 minutes of uh, Nathan on Katsu, the man, and, you know, a little bit about the, the Zatoichi film. So I, I like this one a lot. Yeah, me too. It was a good supplement to to that. Uh, in yeah. fact, I think a lot of people might miss it because you have to actually go into the documentary to see that there's a director interview, and, and people right. might even miss it then. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, good it's on stuff. The menu. And um, mine is the Tony Raines uh, interview, which I think is probably the closest to an actual visual essay or slash documentary that we get uh yeah I, i'm with you I, I wish there was more but i i think the world of tony reigns he's pretty much on every asian disc but and there's a reason for that he, he i think he is he brings a lot to the table uh really regardless of the country he's just an amazing guy uh, amazing scholar 
he did he provided a lot of the history that I've already touched on uh, and I, he talked about the serialization and actually the the supplement was called uh, uh, sorry what was it called again serialized success <laughs> there you yeah. go and mm-hmm. so, and I didn't know this about how there'd been a, a, a history of serials because basically from Zatoichi on, we, I don't think a lot of them reached the West, but it makes mm-hmm. sense, you know, mm-hmm. since TV hadn't uh, really penetrated. Uh, so yeah, I, and he, he touches on a lot of the themes too. Uh, one that you kind of, and there's so many movies, it's really tough to make uh, to make these connections as you're going. But you know, when he points them out, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that, uh, like like hell. Like uh, Zadowish re- referring to himself going to hell a lot, and I think that's right. part of the um, the self self loathing that uh, you guys mentioned. Um, that is definitely a part of him. He kind of thinks of himself as being in his own personal hell. So that that was interesting. Um, uh, also, uh, the, just the the fact that it was the marked the end of the studio system. You know, maybe twenty something years after the uh, American studio system ended, and it actually it didn't it it, it would have continued if it could have. Uh, it was still popular. In fact, I think the uh, the films kept the studio going for as long as it, as it could because they were so popular. But it it moved to TV just because it it couldn't be uh, sustained as a film anymore. And uh, and st- actually, I'd I'd be interested to watch the TV series, uh, especially yeah. the one that uh, he was directing in that documentary. Right. <laughs> there are a lot yeah. of them on YouTube, actually. Really? Yes. Yeah. And also, Teshikahara directed a two part episode for it. Cool. Wow. Yeah, yeah oh, I'm, cool. I'm, sh- I'm sure the quality is about the same. Yeah, may- maybe it gets watered down a little bit. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's get it on Netflix. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Come on. Uh, I, I don't know who, who has the rights, but uh, the, <laughs> maybe the Katsu Estate, since it was his uh, company. So yeah. Right. Anyway, that it, it was a, a I think what 30, 40 minutes of Tony Raines talking, which is right. is fine. Um, and uh, yeah. That's something I, I noticed. Like you know, thirty minutes of Tony Raines is like an hour of anyone else. And it's just—it's so rich. I just love it. My my one gripe is that the supplements come at the very end of the disc, uh, and it, I guess it makes sense from a space perspective because you can put three movies on each one. But I, I like right. the way they did the less blank set, and I guess I'm we're getting into our our Criterion ratings. But remember, less blank had uh, like it, they'd have a movie, and there'd be a little little supplement about that movie. Then you go to the next mm-hmm. one, and you can't have twenty five supplements. But it would have been nice to see maybe one on each disc, or one on every other disc, or something. Right uh, to kind of encapsulate the the films of that disc. Yeah, that makes right. sense. Not complaining about the uh, you know the fact that we have twenty five uh, beautiful films in a beautiful box and only three supplements. But I I did you know because you don't. You go through the entire series, and then you expect a, it's a full disc almost. I was hoping for more, so. Sure. So I am complaining. Sorry. Sorry, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing your shirt. I have a right, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, and, and you produce a podcast, so. Yeah, that, that too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like this one a bit. I mean, if I was going to, you know, be stuck on a desert island with one Zatoichi uh, supplement, this would be it. I mean, I just I love hearing this man talk, uh, so it's really really nice I, I i like how you know the, you did talk about the the movies and the uh, television and one thing i was thinking of earlier is how uh, a lot of if i remember a lot of samurai films are for three um at least you know especially the early ones and i, I love how zadoichi even from the first film is widescreen you know mm-hmm. and it just it's these types of films just kind of that bodies in space um that you think of with films i you've got to have it with the samurai film and i just love uh, that aspect of it. So, yeah, look forward to more of these films on my widescreen TV. 
So. Yeah, and they do make good use of that space too. So yeah, yeah. you have uh, some some good stuff looking forward to. Absolutely. So uh, criterion rating, you know, this is for the overall uh, package, and we, you know, you conclude the the booklet and dual format. Uh, anything you want to give for your criterion rating? What do you think, Dave? I think that it's not perfect, but despite that, I'm going to give the whole package a ten out of ten because I feel like this is something that just begs to be owned. This is, the, mm. I think, this is the first time you can get every single of the originals at the series all in one place in the United States. I think a lot of love and care got put into this. You could argue maybe there's not enough supplements, but I will argue that maybe I could consider Zatoichi meets Yojimbo a supplement because it's not that great, <laughs> or Zatoichi and the Doom Man yes. is, a, is a supplement because it's just there. Yes. So mm-hmm. because of that, right. because we get so much in there, and we get the book, which has a really great write-up for each movie. It the comes with the great. comes with the original yeah. short story that yeah. everything's based off of. I, I got to give it a ten, and has great yeah. artwork too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, the package is... Nice commissioning. This is a, a must-own, uh, there's no doubt. Even though I have a quibble about the supplements and, and the, the formatting of them, uh, I, I think I'm not going to give it a 10, but I'll give it like a 9. I, I think it's... Uh, it, you have to own it. It's beautiful. Um, it s- stands out on the shelf. I can actually see it right now. And <laughs> I, I'm about to... Uh, across the room. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, no, I, I think... Especially the, now that the Blu-ray is coming out, and it might be a little right. little less expensive. I, I definitely recommend it for really everybody, even if you're not a fan of like samurai uh, genre film. Sure, They're very. No, that's a good point. It's a good good entry point too. You know, if you uh, are not a not into samurai films, maybe maybe start here. Maybe you don't want to start with the box set, but uh, <laughs> would be a good place to go. But I'm I'm with Dave. You know, I'm going to give it a ten. I think it's uh, you know we do have some quibbles, obviously, but something that had been rumored from Criterion for a long time, and they absolutely delivered, and has been a, a well sought after box set. And of course, they took out the dual format piece, but I I love it. I, I think it's just great. I can't wait to get into it some more and i i'm going to be a proponent for the dual format because i think these films are something that you know if you don't have a portable blu-ray player uh, which are you know i think a little harder to find maybe you want to take the dvds with you either give them to a friend or you know it's a might be a good um set to or at least take some discs with you when you're traveling just kind of easy to Mm -hmm. uh, to take in so yeah i'll i'll definitely uh i'll give it a 10 for what it's worth, I, I, I had never pulled out a DVD <laughs> in, in, in the set, so I guess it just depends on you. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So uh, are we going to canonize this thing, Aaron? I'm, I'm curious. I, I've, been, I've been thinking about this, and I, I think that I wouldn't canon any of the films individually, and, mm-hmm. so, and I, I don't think it's really fair to canonize a series because I guess in, in that respect you could canonize the Duanel series because on the strength of 400 blows. So right. yeah, I'm going to vote no, even though I like the disc and uh, think it's worth owning. Okay. All right. Well, I would. Uh, I I said I put in my notes. Yes, damn it. And uh, of course, we do have to agree. But it's such oh, a behemoth, sorry. behemoth box set. One uh, one spine, and uh, yeah, I think it's just just something great that they did. But you know, I I hear you. We've got to have uh, the the quality of the film has to inform the the canonization of it too. So. Yep. Yeah, that's how I conceived the canon. Was was uh, in in fact I've in some series I, like Tati, for example, I've canonized some, but I I did I didn't do it just based on the box set. If it were right. just if we were canonizing box sets, well, probably they'd all make it. They'd all make it. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Yep. Uh, what, what do you think, Dave? I, I'm kind of with Mark. I again, I 
<laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I, I wouldn't okay. canonize any single film, but when you put it all together, it's like, come on, this this it, it should be on every shelf in America, mm-hmm. right? But you know the def like like you said, Aaron, the definition of the canon is that it does have to include the the film. Like you know, we put Hiroshima Monomore in there, and it's not Hiroshima Monomore. So no. right, right. Yeah, Fair. none of the films come come close. So uh, right. So yeah, sorry guys. I'm, I'm the uh, get off my lawn. I'm the the keeper of the canon. <laughs> That's right. You have the keys, sir. I do. Yeah. Well, it's gonna stay in my canon. There you go. My unofficial go. canon that no one cares about. You can uh, put it in your canon and shoot it off your balcony. Exactly. <laughs> nice. No, nice. I, no, I do love the set. It's it's not in the canon, but it's absolutely worth uh, having. So. Yep. Yep. Got it. Got to have it. Well, that's uh, that is Zatoichi, the Blind Swordsman. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. We spent some good time on that that uh, set. It definitely was worth it. Um, so I wanted to thank everyone for listening, and uh, we would love some more feedback. iTunes reviews, email us at feedback at criterionclosup.com and send us some tweets at CriterionCU and Facebook slash Criterion uh, Closeup. And, uh, yeah, Dave, where can folks find you? You can find me on Twitter at Cinema versus Dave. That's Cinema vs. Dave. And I also have an infrequently updated blog uh, whose URL I can never remember for these things. WordPress.cinemaverses.com, I think it is. And that's, that's it. Yeah, I just looked it yeah, up. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. I'm glad that you're <laughs> checking myself <laughs> other than me. Got my eye on you, Dave. And that one, Cinema Versus, spelled out like two people fighting, maybe in a sword duel, Cinema Versus. I think you are fighting cinema. I am. That's right. With my cane sword. <laughs> and Dave, Dave's a great follow. I mean, he has. I love seeing your now watching posts, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's you know Sunday afternoon or three in the morning um, on a Saturday night. So it's uh, definitely follow Dave on on Twitter and uh, yeah, see what he's up to. It's been very Zetsuichi heavy this week. <laughs> it has been, but it's been been fun. That's right. And uh, and we wanted to plug the there's a new podcast out there as they called it uh, a niche podcast because you know we need more niche podcasts called the Blind Swordsman where they are de- delving into all of the films of Zadiwichi they have a primer and they're uh, putting out a podcast I think an hour plus almost mm-hmm. on uh, each film so if you want some more Zadiwichi definitely check them out oh. it's actually the Blind Podsman and I think they're through f- That's the right. first four or the first five uh, episodes. So yeah, I really uh, I think it's awesome that they're doing this podcast, and I'm you yeah. know, having seen some of the you know they made it through the first four, which we, as we already established are pretty pretty good. There's a couple low points, and I, I'm I'm going to listen even though I can't remember all these movies, but uh, I, I just think they're and they're doing a good job with it. They have a good rapport, yeah. So uh, yeah, definitely check it out if you want to maybe that that might be a good way to uh, get through the series is watch one at a time and then listen with them listen to the so, pod yeah yeah and, and, and probably you know remind you of, of the films as they go through them too you know since right. it's like you said it's been a while to to see them so and uh, yeah just a you know another quick plug we'll include a link in the show notes to uh you might want to check out some french new wave music where i was on uh in session film settling the score their bonus content a lot of fun there and just a different take you know i kind of think of it similar to west anthony's uh musical no- notation pod where we're playing the actual uh, music so Mm -hmm. you might enjoy that and uh, aaron where can folks find you i'm aos 505 on twitter haven't been i've been a little more active lately i'm getting settled from uh, vacation and back into life but (laughs) uh, i'll I'll be tweeting a little more and then uh i was on the newsstand we talked about that last time but 
it's up now and i had a good time talking with uh, ryan and keith yeah that was a lot of fun i I laughed a lot during that episode you guys did a great job it was fun yeah (laughs) it's a we had a good dynamic so yeah Yeah. sometimes it works (laughs) yeah yeah the dynamics always seem to change with those those shows you know depending Mm -hmm. on who's on which is nice so we we had fun job thanks you can find me, Mark Herney, H-U-R-N-E, at Mark Herney on Twitter and uh, Letterboxd. And uh, for our next show, we're going to have an appreciation of a b- boutique label that we're going to keep uh, under wraps until that show. But look forward to that uh, on our next episode. But it's not Criterion because this That's whole right. cast. Yeah, it'll be a little different than what we've uh, we've done, but I, I'm excited. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, it's a good good idea. So look we forward talk, to that. Talk about all sorts, sorts of home media anyway, so why not? Yeah. Why not branch out a little bit? Sure. So, thanks everyone for listening to Criterion Close Up. We'll talk to you soon. Should I hit stop on the recording, or do you have any sort of outro?